You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is from British classicist Mary Beard's manifesto called Women and Power, which is super short and pretty powerful. She says... We find repeated stress throughout ancient literature on the authority of the deep male voice in contrast to the female. As one ancient scientific treatise explicitly put it, a low-pitched voice indicated manly courage, a high-pitched voice, female cowardice. Other classical writers insisted that the tone and timbre of women's speech always threatened to subvert not just the voice of the male orator, but also and I love this, the social and political stability, the health of the whole state. So that's what we're doing. (laughs) Our voice is a reflection of our life experience, where we've been and who we've listened to. But we can also own it and even change it if we want. This is the podcast that's all about the voice, but it's also all about power. Who has it, how we get it, how we sound when we have it. I'm Samara Bay. I'm a dialect coach for actors in Hollywood on movies like the upcoming Wonder Woman sequel and a bunch of other stuff I can't talk about. And I'm also a speech coach for entrepreneurs, for politicians, for women everywhere ready to use their voice to get what they want. Welcome to Permission to Speak. Let's do this. Today's guest is Zara Nurbaksh. She is an Iranian-American comedian whose latest one-woman show is called On Behalf of All Muslims, colon, a comedy special. I find her fascinating. She teamed up with a philanthropic organization called Pop Culture Collaborative, which you should look up. It's awesome. Their mission is, I have it here, it states that through partnerships between the social justice sector and the pop culture industries, the collaborative believes activists, artists, and philanthropists can encourage mass audiences to reckon with the past and rewrite the story of our nation's future. 
I mean, makes me want to just like stand up out of my chair and applaud. So Pop Culture Collaborative actually paid Zara to spend a year analyzing how to basically solve bro comedy culture. And we get to talk about that in this interview. I wanted to have her on because of that and because I feel like she's an amazing example of somebody who is fearlessly diving into the somewhat thankless mess of how to talk seriously about what it is to be funny and what it takes to actually make social change. And I also wanted to have her on because the story of how she found her own voice as somebody who, you know, sort of very much shows up in a room as a quote unquote outsider in the comedy world for being a woman, for being a woman of color, for being a woman who's queer, for being, you know, the list of things. And bonus, she tells us about crowd work, which I feel like when a comedian is willing to tell you how to work a crowd and how to get them on your side, even when they seem a little hostile up top, like, you should listen. And with that, here she is. So you're a comedian. One of the things that you have talked about is this sense that we all have that comedy is uh, and historically has been developed in bars and nightclubs and thus is inevitably somewhat misogynistic because there is a culture there that is pretty set. Mm. You were interviewed in an article for Bustle online, and this is the quote, the underdog ends up being the guy at the bar trying to score. As a woman in that scene, I felt like I was always responding to either how fuckable or unfuckable I was. I didn't have a language to kind of say, oh, I'm being tasked with identifying myself with the male gaze at the bar and then proving that I can be funnier than them by being more crass. I had no interest in doing that. And at the time, how that translated for me is that I just wasn't good. Yep. I read that and was like, God, that feels like putting into words probably so many people's experience whether actually it's for comedy or just for work culture. Like, Mm. why am I not funny? Mm. Oh, I know, because of my audience, not because of me. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my real question is, like, what was your process out of that? How did you find your voice? Well, I think a big part of it was learning how to name all of the obstacles. Yeah. Because I think, like I said, like at that time— All these things just get categorized as just, well, you're just not good. You just don't have it. You're just not dedicated. It's about your work ethic. And so then those things just kind of make you go, well, there's, it's not actionable. There's nothing I can do about the fact that I'm just not good at this. I lean on a lot of my actor training Mm. to go like, you know, okay, so then how do I change that? Because if it's a moral or ethical thing, there's not much I can do about that. That's a that's a state of being, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's in my head. But if it's about how I engage with the audience differently, the questions that I ask differently, the stage setups that I seek out, the theatrical constructs that I'm looking for. And what I started to notice was, okay, hold up. You know, I studied meta theater in uh, college. What is meta theater? Meta theater is the theater of theater. Mm. You know, like right now we're in a podcast booth and we're having a conversation. Mm. It's facilitating the opportunity for us to dive deep on a conversation that we wouldn't have if there was the distractions of our day. Mm -hmm. So in stand-up comedy, the theater of it all is, okay, we can stop worrying about each other. We're going to take hits and we're going to send hits. And that's part of the relief, right? But the thing is, if you're a person who walks around already feeling like no one's paying enough attention to the hits coming your way, that's not at all a relief. It's very stressful. 
but it's very bro. It's very bro for guys to get together and be like, hey, buddy, yeah, you know, you could take that, right? And it's like, and it's all play and that's fun for them. And surprise, (laughs) it's difficult for guys to learn it's not fun for you. Mm -hmm. What do you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I'm sorry. You know, that's tough for them to hear, especially when, surprise, they're getting off, they're having a relaxed experience. And it creeped me out that like this sort of standard of funny that we've set is really rooted in a suspension of disbelief that's about a step away from rape culture. You've got a theatrical construct that's in a bar and you've got a bar's power dynamic dictating Mm -hmm. the way that people engage with each other and celebrate. So then everybody who's the underdog at a bar Mm. is the guy trying to score. Everybody who's in the way of that is the jerk. Or the hot girl who won't give it away. The jerk. Yeah. She's the jerk, you know? But if you really open up the framing of it and you make the theater bigger, you know, cinematic, and you go, okay, well, when she woke up this morning— her hair went one direction and her cowlick was doing its thing. And she had to like, you know, take a shower, brush out her hair, get a product that's like, you know, doing something to her brain through its skull. And then she had to like, you know, put all kinds of like chemicals on her face and watch a bunch of YouTube tutorials that she's been watching since she was 15 to like manufacture a look of natural. And then All of that is, like, expenses that she, like, doesn't have and makeup she's relying on that she's invested in for, like, three years. Mm -hmm. And she's hoping that all of these things are going to, like, pull together the same face she had yesterday. That (laughs) somehow with the humidity and the sweat of the environment of, like, a stressful meeting made her makeup, like, really set. And she's been working on her body for, like, a 100 years And so that she can, like, you know, present to patriarchy, she shows up at this bar, and really she's just looking for a good lay with a good guy who's not going to kill her. Mm -hmm. Like, now you have an underdog with a much more powerful foe, but it takes time. You have to develop Mm -hmm. that. And so then that was the other obstacle was like, okay, there's no time. At a bar, I have to win folks over in 10 seconds. I have 10 seconds. Actually five, but 10 seconds. And I have to work off of who they see, you know? So then you've got these comedians who get regulated to storytelling and one person shows when really the reason why we're doing that is because to bring everybody, the real underdogs that we are in our lives, we have to go into a story. Yeah, It's unfamiliar to folks. And so that's what I wanted to do with this report that I did through Pop Culture Collaborative was to like really make it clear to people all of the things that make it impossible to be funny like your guy friend and that every time we are funny like them that's not revolutionary we're just inhabiting patriarchy in a different kind of way yeah like we figured out how to assimilate but it doesn't leave us so yeah i want to talk about this study on doing deep dive on zara i you know came across obviously you're a comedian you're a writer you're a podcast host which we want to talk about as well but you're also an activist. I don't know if that's the word that you use for it. But yeah. you're very much, if we're still allowed to say it, disrupting. Oh, my God, more <laughs> quotes. You know, like comedy culture, not just by existing, although in that regard as well, but also specifically by doing this study with this organization that you just referenced. I'm assuming getting paid 
to do so. Yes. And really looking at not only this issue of like what's funny for who, Mm. but also the pipeline that that ends up affecting. Mm -hmm. And I specifically want you to tell us about it in terms of this idea of tension versus release because this is exists in comedy i don't know if 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 people outside of the comedy world think about this equation Mm -hmm. but this feels like kind of an age-old comedy equation that there's tension and then the comedian releases the tension with the punchline and everybody goes ha ha yeah and you're this seemed like your way in that you were like um hold up what makes us all tense is not the same yes how did they find you how did you find them and how did you decide to sort of do this and what did it reveal i met up for coffee with Bridget, Antoinette Evans, and Tracy Vince, like, and I complained about comedy for an hour. <laughs> and then I got a grant. That's great. <laughs> that should be. <laughs> There's really something to be said for everybody taking an acting class, man, because you really have to get specific about your obstacles. And then, you know what? Then you can articulate them to people. And I had the benefit also of being invited to the Sundance Creative Change Retreat presented by an organization called the Opportunity Agenda. And I call them the liberal Illuminati because mm. I was like, who are you? Yeah, I want to know and them. you look very powerful to me. <laughs> and you are everywhere, but no one knows this. Uh, and they brought together all these folks from all these different areas for activism. And I was there with Hari and Kamau and, you know, like as peers. And I was like, whoa, hold up. Uh, I'm quitting comedy also. And they were like, why? And I was like, here's why. And I laid out for them all my complaints. Like, I can't do this because of this, and I can't do that because of that. And they said, your complaints are analysis. Hmm. And I'd I'd not pursued academia beyond my bachelor's, you know? So, like, I I never thought about it that way. I was always just, you know, trying to fix what's broken, and it wasn't working. And I just was stuck. And they were like, that's racism. <laughs> that's institutionalized Dude. racism. And I was like, no way. <laughs> I mean, this ties back into the first question too, right? I mean, it real na- naming stuff. Yeah. You know, words are problematic, but words are also incredibly valuable when it's like, oh, this weird experience I'm having that makes me feel like even more other than than ever because I feel like I'm having a different experience than everyone else. That word Yes. Instantly makes me feel like, oh, I'm actually having a related experience to a bunch of people who all feel like they're having these solo, isolated experiences. Exactly. And then when I started talking about it, then people would say things like, oh, my God, I have that in the medical field. Oh, I have that as a classical musician. Oh, I have that, you know, where we get put in these positions where we have to explain the distance between our context and people's expectation of our context. Say more about that in terms of, like, stereotypes or what you mean. When you're an ethnically ambiguous woman and you get up on stage, then the audience wants to know where you're from. And there's a power dynamic that exists with women that is attention that is, you know, I have an expectation, I have a question, answer it. Yeah. And when you're a woman, that power dynamic of, like, I need something from you, give it to me, exists, is normative and subconscious and habitual. And when you're a woman of color, then the expectation for people to educate about where you're from. Like, don't just don't just relieve my tension, but also fill in all of the gaps of anything I've ever wanted to know, since you're here, if you don't mind. Exactly. Exactly. And especially with liberal audiences, mm. because they believe that it is their job to learn from difference. They're pre- 
set mm. to expect that when difference presents itself on stage, they should learn from difference. And so then that learning kills comedy. Nobody laughs when they're learning. You can't yeah. learn when you're laughing. You laugh when you get it. Mm. You laugh because you just told me something that I already knew and I forgot that I knew it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're human. I forgot. Sorry. Mm. That's funny. How did I forget that? You know, oh, you do that just like me. Oh, my God, I recognize that. But when we're learning, we stop laughing. We listen. When we're actually learning. And you know that experience of when people are actually listening to you versus when they're not. Right? We all know that feeling. So in comedy, like, tension, I mean, you ever get a breathless laugh? It's the worst thing in the world. People have to go, ha, 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 ha. They have to take a breath in. Mm. If that anticipation is not there. Mm. And someone wants to agree with you or disagree with you or what you just said, they think they know where you're going, but they're not sure. They see a magic trick's about to happen and they want to catch it before you trick them. Mm. That has to be there. That tension has to exist. But what happens for people who are not cis, hetero, white men on stage is that it's not the normative social experience for us to have authorship over that tension. When we see a white guy on stage with a mic, we go, oh, what's he going to do with that power? And then we're along for the ride. When I take that mic, then people go, wait, where are you from? And how did you get here? And where are your parents? And how did they get here? And do they approve of what you're saying? And do I agree that I'm going to let you be in charge of that? That's a lot. Before I open my mouth. I mean, this is so genius. Exactly. And I mean, so then the question, of course, is like, so what's the solution so people like you don't quit? I'll say this because it's never one solution, right? You know, we say it takes a village, but I think what we forget about that is it's not just people. It's also institutions. Yeah. So it's not just about the people in the audiences. It's also about the pipelines. It's also about those gatekeepers. It's also about the metrics that we use to gauge a laugh. It's also about the way that we determine whether or not a comedian's successful. What are we going to do if all of the time the metric for success is how heartily you laugh at what you already knew to be true? (laughs) Yep. We can't move forward real far. So what I think we have to remember is it's not always meant to be funny to you. You know, we're not the every. (laughs) That's one of those amazing tension moments. And then what? (laughs) It's not always meant for everybody. Right. So if that's the case, if it's not good and I and people always say like, you know, guy, I, I'll get a lot of bro comics who are like, what are we going to do with comedy if it's not about laughter? Ah, And it's like, OK, I'm sorry. Gallagher tours. There are comedians making money who aren't funny. People mm. will survive. The the industry will survive. Capitalism will still thrive. Don't worry. You know, <laughs> I lost a friendship over Nanette. Oh, Nanette is a classic stand-up comedy structure. It's fucking stunning. Uh, And he is a comedian of color and could not wrap his mind around the fact that if it wasn't funny to him, it should not have any value to anybody else. And that that was something that offended me. I'm scared for you that you have a friend like that. Well, not anymore. I'll tell you why Nanette is a classic comedic structure. Please. Comedy is a personal essay. You begin with an argument, you carry it all the way through. Example after example after example. You make a case. It's not about subplots. It's not about wrapping up, you know, what he said or she said or they did. It's about the argument. Mm -hmm. 
So then that shows an argument, you mm-hmm. know? And then two, it closes on the highest point of tension. That's comedy, the mic drop. Mm. But the thing is, the celebration for Nanette, what makes it so impactful, which is a real metric for success in comedy, and what makes it so revolutionary is that the mic drop comes when they let the tension release for them and not the crowd. This is a celebration for me. It lands on you. Bye. Yep. That's the greatest mic drop of all time. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's classic comedy. Okay, we'll be back. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, we're back, and we were talking in the the break, and I want to bring this up because this whole idea of tension and releasing the tension does remind me of, you know, being a woman and how much (laughs) the idea of people-pleasing. I mean, I showed you I have a pin on my jacket today that's like a little award for not pleasing everybody, which I almost wear ironically because I feel like I get through a whole day and I'm like, oh, fuck, I pleased everybody again. (laughs) Um, and I'm trying not to, because that means, you know, whatever, it's a lot of mental labor. Okay, so on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's like a pyramid, right, of like uh, safety at the physiological level, belonging, you know, uh, community, and uh, esteem, mm-hmm. and then self-actualization. And so many times folks think that they're having a conversation at the level of self-actualization. Like, mm-hmm. we're just talking abstractly, Right. When they don't realize that for the other person, it's hitting them in a space of belonging, you know, whether or not they feel connected to that other person anymore. Like you lost your friend. Yeah. Right. And I think for women, our um, sense of belonging, likability, accommodation, all those things threaten our belonging, but also belonging for us is capital. Yeah. We're property, (laughs) you know. And for people of color, this is even more triggering. So, you know, when people say, like, don't be so accommodating or, you know, don't be so gracious or, you know, don't try to please everybody. It's like, well, it's not really always up to me, though. 
Yeah. And that's also not 100% of the time a way that I can be successful, institutionally speaking. I mean, this on a really practical level is also why I push back as a professional voice coach on like making fun of girls for vocal fry. Oh, yeah. Like, can I admit that that sound repeatedly without break is like a little bit jarring and I want somebody to breathe a little bit more? Sure. Mm -hmm. But on a much more holistic level, if we're talking about what's happening societally for that human being trying to make it in the world and get some of their needs met, I bet that vocal fry is helping them get there. There's a sense of belonging because, boy, do they sound like their peers. There's a sense of safety because they're not scaring that guy. See? See? This is the thing. is like sometimes I wonder if leadership is its own pronoun. Whoa, wait. What's huh? <laughs> <laughs> Like, What if I was just like, yeah. <laughs> I know. And all your listeners um, would be like, what? <laughs> uh, say more. <laughs> because... I see so many women who inhabit leadership, but there's a masculine edge to it somehow that we have to present and perform to. And sometimes that's natural to us and it doesn't feel like a performance. And sometimes it's a performance. Yeah. Um, Because it's like we all have uh, masculine and feminine energies and that's cool. But if we're just like ratcheting up the masculine because it's inherently coded as more powerful in this world, then we're never actually finding what female leadership sounds like. And by the way, that's the point of this podcast. Like, if uh, if an orc came in to tell me that the company is failing, then I am going to be focused on the fact that the company's failing. Like, why does it matter how you present? You know, I've already been hired. You checked my resume. You read my references. I have been here. I'm here because you have the stipulated trust in me in this position. So when I tell you we're screwed and you're in trouble— then everything moves forward from there. Why is it backward in an attack on my character? Obviously, logically, that makes a lot of sense. Right? Everything else is sexism. You don't, like, the package, why are you looking at the package? And it's so sexist to examine and evaluate the value of the package. I want to ask about your podcast, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, which recently aired its final episode after five years. And specifically in terms of how revealing we are Mm. publicly. Oh, yeah. Which is obviously something I'm considering, having my own nascent podcast. But also I see, you know, quote-unquote influencers or anybody on the interwebs struggling with this. And that sense of, like, I would like to reveal authentic things about myself because it feels like I'm finding my community. Mm. And also some of it feels like I'm doing it for other people. And it doesn't—like, what? how do you figure out what's private? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. For me, safety has played a big role in that, you know, because being an Iranian woman in this country continues to be a more and more dangerous thing. I always thought that I didn't have to really be all that aware of politics. And part of the reason why I got into comedy, haha, was to escape politics. (laughs) I wanted to be able to just be silly. Imagine that. (laughs) Just be funny. And then I realized when I got invited to this conference in Iran that turned out, I think, to be a scam maybe, um, Hmm. that I can't do that. I have to actually keep up, you know, and know what I'm up against. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of those obstacles. And that sucks because there are some things that I want to be able to talk about that I think are important to talk about, but it just puts me at a risk that is, you know, um, not worth it. And on the other hand, you have talked really openly about a lot of things from your surgery to... Yeah. My surgery and my sexuality. Exactly. I was going to say your reaction to the Pulse student nightclub shooting. Yeah. I came out as bisexual. Part of the 
blessing and curse of me is that I have to dialogue it in order to know what it is that I'm thinking, which can be tough for folks who care a lot about what people say, you know, I'm never all that invested. I'm always trying to figure out, well, is this the word? You know, like you said, it's yeah. words are so fluid for me. Like they, they're, they're so restrictive and you're, we're always looking for like, is this the right noun phrase? We want to be understood. I mean, yes. that's why we communicate literally. Yes. Is this why? Is this how? Is this, you know, um, I actually took communications coaching. Oh, tell me more. Because I was in a leadership position, I got, I was project manager of a company, and uh, I didn't know what that meant was you swallow blame well. Uh-huh. They never tell you that yeah. when they promote you. And uh, I got an evaluation, a 360 evaluation, mm -hmm. where they said, uh, you're too tall and too loud, and just because you're tall and loud doesn't mean what you get. You get what you want. You're abrasive, and nobody likes you. We haven't liked you for the last five years. Okay. And this was mostly women, one guy. Uh-huh. Was hilarious as I got the position because I was scary enough that I could contend with the one guy. Oh my God. I mean, that's why I was there. It was none of them wanted to hold them accountable. But then in the process of me holding everyone accountable, then it came to that. And I could have left, but I wanted to know why did this happen? Yeah. And I had a friend who was doing communications coaching and I asked her if she could come in. And I learned so much. And she taught me that charisma is the ability to speak to people's strengths. And that in times mm -hmm. of crisis, we all think that everyone will show up as their best self, but really people will show up as their worst self. It's our most primitive base selves is what's going to show up because it's not practiced. We don't practice crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, What kind of crisis do you think she's talking about there? Like when we're in a position of conflict with somebody. And that's, we, what I, that's what it feels yeah. like. Because there's, there's some like, there's some really lovely kind of Mr. Rogers type sentiment about how in like massive, you know, typhoon type stuff, yes. people will, people will really like save each other and surprise each other and strangers end up, you know, being really loving and you can point to that. But I think actually what's much more interesting because it happens much more regularly for our lives is what you're talking about, the type of crisis where you're being called on shit. And yes. all of your, all of your, you know, internal biases come to the surface. Yes, exactly. Not the tsunami, but the tsunami of <laughs> the soul. Yeah, yeah. The white fragility tsunami. The white fragility tsunami <laughs> is what's practiced. Mm -hmm. One of the other lessons she gave me was I don't have to say all of the processing part out loud. And she taught me this phrase: I think you can trust yourself to. Blank, blank, blank. I say that to my actors all the time. Right? It's such a call to instinct. Yeah. Rather than, what do you mean by, tell me more about the processing thing. So, you know, I was constantly afraid that I wasn't doing things right, that I wasn't accommodating people correctly. And especially after that meeting, it didn't help my fear of belonging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it certainly made it difficult to hold people accountable. But what she was saying to me was, or what I heard was that I can rely on the capabilities that I have already in place to examine my thoughts as they come up and take a moment to decide whether or not those are the things that I want to discuss. And she said, if you don't know yet, then let the person know you need some time. Trust that they can handle that you need a pause. And it was such a beautiful way to put it because it wasn't like I 
didn't think I deserved it. It was that I was afraid that everything would go awry because there was always such a sense of urgency. And it's like the other half of permission to speak is permission to not speak. Yeah. Okay, writing this tsunami of practical advice, I'd like to ask you for some tips. I specifically would like to focus on your experience in front of crowds. Mm. I think a lot of listeners are not necessarily comedians, but they are having more and more opportunities slash, you know, challenging themselves into being in public, speaking in public. And, you know, not everybody is like, a crowd, that's my sweet spot. Yeah. But it feels like you found that. I mean, I do love the last paragraph of one of your NPR pieces that's about Jema. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. This is about the mass shooting at Christchurch. So, mm. you know, trigger mm-hmm. warning. You said, and this is coming off of your surgery for uh, thyroid cancer that made it hard for your neck to participate in communication. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You said it wasn't the first mass shooting. It wouldn't be the last So often tragedy is what brings us together that it made me appreciate the ritual of Jama all the more, which is Friday gathering. Growing up, we went to mosque every Friday, whether in joy, sorrow, grief, or uncertainty. I think it's because of that tradition that I love performing live so much. Even when it's just with a dozen friends in my living room, even when it runs me ragged, I love being there with the crowd. And now I might have a scar to remind me just how much. Yeah. Um, oh, thank but you for I really, yeah. I, I loved a lot about that, obviously, but specifically I want to talk about that. It's a different way of envisioning. It's a different theater of the theater of the relationship with the crowd. So mm. it isn't just like, oh God, I'm up here and people are looking at me. Yes. So talk about that. Like, how do you create a sense of like, we're all in this together? Yeah. Well, I go super like, I, I dive deep into nature. This is for Ooh, me. Yeah. I go... You're my guest, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck those other people. (laughs) Fuck those other people. I'm giving the advice that works for me. (laughs) I I do a deep dive into nature, and I'm like, okay, what's up, meat sacks? Here we are, these organisms, these bodies, right? So what are the hierarchies about? And I ask myself what really is at stake, and I engage with all the doubt. I always say to my students, to the people I mentor... Lean into the self-doubt, trust the self-doubt, because especially for us as women, women of color, otherized voices, there's so much that we have to just push aside into the subconscious and move forward, you know? And then when we're called upon to be highlighted, that self-doubt has never had its time in the sun, you know? Mm, Because we pushed it aside. Yeah. So then it's just all anxiety. It's just all fuzz. You know, and so we have to unpack it, unpack, unpack, unpack. So I ask myself, what's at stake? What's actually at stake? Will I get fired? Is my reputation at stake? You know, am I in actual danger? And then if I can say yes to any of that, then I'll say, well, then is there another way for me to approach this topic? Because if that's really true, then let's not do that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then sometimes I recontextualize. Because sometimes my anxiety is the exhilaration and excitement. Yeah. And I'm not as practiced in owning and enjoying and embodying exhilaration. You know, as a woman, for me, it was always about bottling it up. Mm. Bottle it up, push it to the side. Bottle it up, push it to the side. Don't be too loud. Don't be too, you know, you're too tall. You're too loud, right? 
So uh, I'm really practiced in being small. And so then I say, I'm really exhilarated. I'm very excited, you know? And then sometimes I think about the scarcity of experience. How many times will I have a chance to do this kind of performance? It means a lot to me. Mm. And because I think it's really important to always lean on our instincts in an athletic experience, that's the most like primal instinct we have. You know, it goes back millennia. I feel my quads and I actually massage my quads. Mm-hmm. And I do like a do you couple hold shit of- there? I hold shit there. Everybody. Yeah. Is that a it's th- your fight or flight. Think about it. When you bolt, yeah. what's got to kick in? Your hamstrings and your quads. Go. You know? So I lean into my quads and for the lines that I'm the most afraid of, you know, with a crowd, then mm. I find them in my quads. You know, I just like lunge into them. Mm-hmm. And then I remember that the audience is my partner on stage. They're my scene partner. Mm-hmm. And that they're there to do a job with me is to have a good time. And I speak to their strengths. <laughs> All comes together. Yeah, you guys know how to have a good time. Uh, we know how to do this. We know mm-hmm. how to let go. And if they don't know, then I ask them about it. So, you know, what is that about? And people also know what it means to be a heckler, to take up too much stage mm-hmm. time. And so I lean on that. You know you're doing that thing, friend, mm-hmm. and move to the other person. Mm-hmm. And I build community, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I split the audience in half. The advice that one of my great mentors, W. Kamau Bell, a comedian Emmy winner, United mm-hmm. Shades of America yep. on CNN. I'll be in the spring season. Woo! Watch it. He used to say, never let the audience be a faceless mass. Yeah. Hold them accountable. Yeah. Assign them an opinion. Ooh. Let them voice that they disagree. But make them do their job. They're a live crowd for a reason. It's not television. And I put in every performance, I think of something new that I'm trying to gain. Some new information, you know, what if there's more to this joke? What if there's more to this idea or this premise? What do you mean about the separating them in half thing? So I'll say, you know, you guys are amazing over here, but this side. No, so very conscious, very like out loud. Yes. Yeah, very (laughs) out loud. Yeah. This side, I don't know what's happening with you. You folks are with me. Or sometimes I'll just find the one person who gets it and I'll alienate everyone else and connect with that one person. Then what happens is people lean in. Yeah. And then other people lean in. Yeah. And then the person who is making it a terrible show the whole time makes themselves clear. Yeah. And what ends up happening is people walk away going, that was a weird crowd, not you bombed. Yeah. Crowd work. Well, in any presentation, I think people just forget that the audience is in a relationship with you. Yeah. They're there in a dynamic with you. And if you feel like they've turned into an evaluative mass, Mm -hmm. then hold them accountable for that. And Mm -hmm. if you don't know how to do that, then those are the things to prepare yourself with. And you are suggesting for yourself that one of the tools is to literally ask them. Yeah. Because we do forget. I mean, I, I coach people in this and, you know, sometimes I'm like, if there's something you don't know about people up top and it's not even a hostile crowd, it's just you literally... You've done a, a bunch of research, but like who actually showed up to this, I don't know, fundraiser or conference? Ask questions, get a show of hands or get people to voice. But like the more you know, the better. But also theater-wise, that's a way of saying like you guys are participants. We're in a room together. We're, yes. we're all meat sacks in a room together. Yes. Let's like not pretend we're not. Exactly. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to find out whose voice Zara admires. 
you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, we're back. And Zara, tell us who you chose. Lisa Marie Rollins. Yes, tell me about her. She's my director for my comedy special, On Behalf of All Muslims, a comedy special. And she she really supported me in the vision for the show. And I've been following her career for a real long time, in part because she's amazing, and in part because we started out together as solo performers in... W. Kamau Bell Solo Performance Workshop. Yeah. And at that time, I remember she was producing for him and the way that she would hold space and then come be a student with us, you know, be production manager here and then come sit in class with us. And then, and I um, just saw all of the different ways that she engaged with people, crowds, spaces, She's always thinking about kind of what's the construct and seeing, you know, what does she need from it and how does she give to it? And I don't know that she necessarily thinks about it consciously. I just saw how fluidly she moved through it and it really struck me and I really admired it. And then when it came to my show, oh man, did I rely on her so much to speak multiple languages of academia, comedy, theater, even, you know, philanthropy and the grant writing process, in addition to just how she held vision for this medium of stand-up comedy, which is like a singular individual, Mm -hmm. up against the needs of a theater space that wants, you know, spectacle for its audience live, you know, not just one person up against the blank, Mm -hmm. you know, wall. It also strikes me, we're going to listen to her in a second, but a lot of her public work as a playwright and as a writer is about her, as she calls it, transracial uh, adoption yes. experience, which means that she's mixed race. Right. And what that did for her, I'm wondering, it's a great show. Yeah. was, you know, it's it's rela- like the idea of code switching, which is a really like a mm. well-known trope in certainly in African-American culture because 
you have to, you, you were raised to feel like you have to speak differently in different contexts in order to be taken seriously in different contexts mm-hmm. is something we actually all do. It's like totally a linguistic thing. We all talk differently to different people, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have as much of a loaded quality to it mm-hmm. when, you know, we aren't in like a less dominant culture and having to sort of prove ourselves. But I'm sure that's something that's like so front of mind for her. So the way that you just described that uh, experience of her being able to kind of chameleon in various spaces feels like it may be something that was like a lifelong skill. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to listen real fast, but there was something she said in here. She was being interviewed about her writing style and like her relationship to the whole, like, you're only a legit writer if you carve out four hours a day and it's the same exact four hours every day. And like, you know, the sort of discipline side of being a writer. And this was her response. As a person who acknowledges how all the aspects of my life inform myself as a writer, my teaching work, my activist work, my racial positionality, all of those things inform who I am. It's part of the filling of my creative well. And so this notion that I just have to be sitting all day and outputting without any kind of mental, spiritual, physical intake was not right for me. When I'm hearing her voice, she's on like a really technical level. She's using a lot of pitch. Mm -hmm. She does a little bit of a special kind of upspeak that isn't like I end all of my thoughts with a question accidentally, but rather it's like an in the middle of a long thought. Like I'm about I'm saying the first half of it Mm -hmm. so that then you have the payoff at the end of it which is like a oh. kind of upspeak that we all do that we should do because it's, I mean, I'm putting shit in quotes, but like it's it's good storytelling. The two main things that I feel when I'm listening to her speak just really, really technically is one, that she's using pitch and things like, you know, what I was just describing that are classic kind of storytelling modes. Like I have a long and complicated thought, but I'm going to take care of you as I go through it. Yes. A. And B, <laughs> there's like a, um, there's, there's like emotion in it. Like you can see her voice almost like cracked at this one moment and she mm. didn't give a fuck. But like, there, you know, how we talk about things that matter to us mm-hmm. in a way that sounds like they matter to us mm. is something we've all in certain ways been kind of trained out of. Mm. This is part of why I think Vocal Fry exists because it's like it's ways you to kind of hide behind like whatever, I don't really care, like this kind of thing. Right. And as soon as you put breath behind it and you, then you have to acknowledge like, okay, my voice kind of wavered when I said that because, oh, fuck, <laughs> I actually care. Mm. And that's something that all of us, you know, I have absolutely this very week dealt with. Shoot, I hear myself caring in my voice. Well, that's awkward. I have to push through and just trust that it would be even more, I mean, you know, it would be a different kind of awkward if I tried to sound as flat and generic as possible. Mm. Like it would save me in terms of my my embarrassment, but it would not save me at all in terms of actually getting across what I'm trying to get across and like share a real connection with a human being. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, part of working on our voice is about like, prioritizing that, Mm. prioritizing real human connection over saving face. Mm. Saving face, we know how to do. I mean, a lot of us, at least. There is that sense of like, whatever, as long as I sort of don't really show up in a room, no one can make fun of me. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. But obviously that will not get us our dreams. That's me on a Friday night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, when I was saying all that, you were like nodding because it feels like it's sort of... Yeah, because uh, I mean, it point... pinpoints like all the things that I was so drawn to that I also wanted to emulate, you know, because of course there's like code switching that we do, right? And 
additionally, there was a way that she held space in a room navigating how she engaged from what she needed. Hmm. And I'm, especially when we met as a comedian and as a young comedian, I'm so accustomed to accommodating the needs of a crowd and always being high and always being up here and always rallying, Hmm. you know, Um, and that space of, you know, unwavering likability. Yeah. (laughs) It was so different to inhabit, you know, a, a different engagement. It's like a real gamble in the moment, and the payoff is so much better than if you hadn't taken the gamble, but boy, does it feel scary. Yes, and I think that's everything, is seeing somebody achieve it Mm. is really, for me, what made her a role model in how I move through these artistic spaces. I love that. Thank you for bringing her in and for letting us know about her. Thank you. And yeah, there'll be info about her in the show notes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the permission. You're welcome. Yay. (laughs) Thank you to Zara for coming in. You can find out more about her in the show notes or on our website, permissiontospeakpod.com. Also, you can go to permissiontospeakpod.com if you have any awesome quotes you'd like me to read at the top of the episodes. And if you have any questions, I will do an Ask Me Anything episode from time to time, and I want to know what is getting in the way of your voice. You can also send DMs or voice messages to our Instagram at permission to speak pod, where we're posting a bunch of content. And please join the community. Thanks as well to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio, to Megan Reed, to my family and cohort, and to all of you. We are recording this podcast in the iHeartRadio studios in Hollywood on land that used to belong to the Tongva Indigenous Tribe, and you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring Native land. Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burt Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.